Well, hello, Valley Christian Church. It is great to be here with you today. My name is Stephen Francis, the campus pastor for the Poughkeepsie campus. And real quick, I want to make a big shout out to all of the awesome people at the Poughkeepsie campus. Give yourselves a round of applause. I love you guys. Appreciate you. Also, online campus, give yourselves a round of applause or like type yay or something. We love you guys. So excited that you guys are with us today as we are now in a new series called Father son and the other one a series completely dedicated to helping us understand who is the holy spirit and how does he work in our lives church i'll be honest i was very excited about doing this series because i believe the holy spirit is one of the most confusing and misinterpreted people in all of scriptures we do not have a good understanding of who he is and what he does in fact, I don't think it's just people here in this church. I think this is just something that's culture-wide. I've said this before, if you've ever heard me speak, that I grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal church environment. And if you were to have asked me when I was a young boy what the Holy Spirit is and what he does, I would have said the Holy Spirit is this weird force that causes for people to just go nuts in church. I grew up seeing people stand up and run around the service as fast as they can because they were hit by the Holy Ghost. We didn't call him the Holy Spirit. We called him the Holy Ghost. I saw people speak in other tongues. I saw people do this thing called being slain in the Spirit. And being slain in the Spirit meant that they got prayed for or something happened that would cause for them to pass out. One of my most traumatic memories of, being, of someone being slain in the Spirit was when I was 16 going on 17 years old. I've never told this story before in church. Um, don't judge me when you hear it uh, ahead of time. So I was a young deacon in my church. And one of the things that the young deacons or any deacons had to do at our church was you needed to catch the people that were slain in the spirit. You needed to catch them as they fell backwards, passed out by the Lord. Here's the thing, I'm 16 going on 17 years old. I am not the strongest guy in the world. So I'll never forget, I was standing uh, at a church service behind these two ladies that were getting prayed for and they're speaking in tongues, their hand is raised and their just knees are just buckling. They just keep doing this. So I know one of them's gonna fall at some point and I'm just trying to like see who's it gonna be. I'm literally doing this behind these ladies as they are getting prayed for. And all of a sudden the lady to my right, she buckles and steps back and I step behind her to catch her but she she regains her footing. However, the lady to the left of me did not regain her footing and she fell on the ground hard. I'm talking about she fell on the ground so hard that you could hear her head bounce against the floor. I'm talking about she fell so hard that her wig, which was right here, suddenly fell and was now back there. I didn't know what to do. I'm 16 years old, so I gently tried to kick the wig back onto her hair as she was in the spirit on the floor, and then I put the little courtesy blanket over her, and I walked off. I was done. I quit that day. I decided to do something else in ministry after seeing something like that. 
But here's my point in even bringing that up. I believe that the spirit does do great things. But in my church, in that environment, sometimes it seemed like there was great things happening in the spirit. There was great things happening in people's lives through the, through the Holy Spirit. But also it felt like maybe there was an overemphasis of the spirit. Sometimes in the way that we learn things and the way that things happened, it was almost distracting and it was difficult to really understand who God was. But the polar opposite happened once I went to college. I went to a college, Liberty University, great school. And one of the churches that I attended at that college did not believe in the works of the Holy Spirit like that. In fact, when I told them what I experienced as a young boy, they were in complete disbelief and said that all of those things were just over emotionalism and people that were just acting out instead of the works of God. And at that church, I learned a lot and it was one of the more transformative times of my spiritual journey. But I also started to see that so many people were getting information, but they weren't receiving transformation. They were learning about the spirit, but they were also living spiritless lives. See, church, I believe that there are places where there could be an overemphasis on this subject and also a place where there is an underemphasis on this subject. But today and through the rest of the time in this series, we are going to be sure that everyone in here has a balanced and righteous and not to mention powerful perspective of who the Holy Spirit is in our lives. So we're going to dive into it today as we dive into today's message, which is just laying the groundwork for the next weeks that we're going to be seeing on who the Holy Spirit is. And we're going to do it in uh, a particular way. So real quick, it has been very hot these past couple of days and weeks. Amen. And here's the thing. There are so many of you guys that because of the heat, you decided to go swimming in a pool or in a lake somewhere. So there are two types of people when it comes to swimming in a pool. And I want to know which one is which. There are the people that like to dip their foot in the pool and then slowly bring their bodies in and crawl their ways in. Maybe even use that little ladder that's on the side. Who are those people? You like to crawl into the pool, just dip a toe in and then one body part at a time. Now, there's also another group of people where you just like to dive in, cannonball into the pool. It doesn't matter how cold it is. You're jumping straight in there. Who is those people in that room today? Are you one of those people? All right. Well, if you are one of those cannonball people here today in Poughkeepsie online, you are in luck because we are diving straight into some Holy Spirit one-on-one -on -one stuff today. We're not dipping our toe. We're going straight into it. So if you're following along with your Valley app notes, I want you to take down a few things. The first thing that we need to understand about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. What makes God different in Christianity more than any other religion is that we believe that we serve one God, but he is representative in three persons. There's God the Father, who we know as God. There's God the Son, who we know as Jesus Christ. And there is the Holy Spirit, who are we going to be talking about today? Now, with those three, it's important to understand this next thing, and that is that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not a lesser version of God. The Holy Spirit is not a tool used by God. He is just as much God as Jesus is God and God the Father is God. They are all one. They are all the same. And with that comes this third thing that we need to understand, and that is that the Holy Spirit is a person and not an it. 
the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not an energy. He's not good vibes. Don't call the Holy Spirit the universe. The Holy Spirit is a relational being. And this is important to understand, and it may come off as semantics at first, but we need to understand this because the more we have this perspective, the better we can approach God and all three persons the way that it's meant to be, he is meant to be approached, and that is in relationship. See, I think many of us, we end up treating God or the Holy Spirit kind of like how we treat our phones. Now, I have an iPhone. I don't have it with me. I have my iPad up here with me. Real quick, just by show of hands, who in here is team iPhone? Make some noise here, Poughkeepsie online, if you are team iPhone in this room. All right, all right, the blessing is upon you. Who here is not team iPhone? You are team whatever else is out there. All right, I see those hands. I see the all of this. Listen, church, if you ever wanted evidence of a lack of the Holy Spirit working in the life of an individual, it is this right here. Church, I'm joking. God loves all of us despite our sins. I'm just joking. All right. Listen, I love my phone. I love to research things on my phone. I love to watch Netflix and stuff on my phone. I get in trouble so many times for being on my phone too much. I text, I call, I, I go on Facebook, Instagram. I love my phone and I use it for so many things. But church, despite how great my phone is, despite how far technology has advanced, by the way, P.S., their technology has advanced so much that if you have an Amazon Echo, when you go home today, you can ask your Amazon Echo to pray for you and it will pray for you. Test it. Trust me on it. They have advanced that much where it can now bless your dinner for you or pray over somebody. For all my community group leaders, if you don't have someone in your group that likes to pray, just ask your Amazon Echo to do it. But here's the deal. Despite how far technology has advanced, despite how much we love technology, technology is still an it. It is not a person. I love my phone, but I can't have a relationship with my phone. If you have an actual relationship with your phone, that's a whole nother issue. I can't talk with my phone unless I'm talking with Siri, but I don't use Siri. Siri's not that great, to be honest with you. But still, I cannot have a relationship with my phone. It is just, at the end of the day, a tool. And if we're not careful, we'll use God as a tool when God is somebody that is not only a relational being, but also creates us to have relationships with him and with other people. So it's important that we understand that God in all three is a person, not an it. He is not a tool. He is a relational being. And we see some evidence of this. Now we're going to start diving into how we see the Holy Spirit act in the lives of people or how we've seen him act in Scripture. The first time we are introduced to the Holy Spirit is in Genesis 1 verses 1 to 2. It says this, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over over the waters. Now the Spirit of God here is the Holy Spirit. We are introduced to the Holy Spirit before we are ever introduced to Jesus Christ. He has been there since the beginning. The word spirit here is the word pneuma. 
which means a current of air, a blast of breath. It's a powerful, it's a, it's a strong force. But we not only see that it's a powerful force, but we also see this word hovering is a word that in its original language gave the idea of almost like a dove floating over the waters, hovering over the waters. And this is important to understand because we're going to see imagery of this later down the line. But we are first introduced to the Holy Spirit that way. Later on in verse 26, we see this. God says, let us make man in our own image. Again, signs of the Trinity, signs that God is one person and three people because he says that let us make, let us make mankind in our image. He's talking to himself, yet he speaks to himself collectively in our likeness so that we may rule over the fish of the sea so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So then they do this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Church, I believe that the way that we are created in God's image is in multifaceted ways. But one of the ways I believe that that is, is that we are made for relationships. Scripture shows that God, even though he is one person and three people, still had relationship amongst himself. We see that there are times in Scripture where the three communicate with each other, yet still being one. And God has made humanity, male and female, to be people that seek oneness, to be people that seek community and fellowship. Research backs this up. Recent research has shown that you are three times more likely to die in the next year if you live a life of isolation. Three times more likely to die if you live a life of isolation. When I read that research, I decided that the next time we have our community groups and group link, our slogan is going to be join a community group or else. It's just a joke. But still, nevertheless, we see that we were designed for relationships just the same way that God himself shows that he is a God of relationships amongst himself and seeks relationship with others. But moving forward, we also see something else. We see that the Holy Spirit comes with power. Every time we are seeing the Holy Spirit, especially in the Old Testament mentioned, it is mentioned in a form of power. We see this in Genesis 2 verse 7, where the Holy Spirit uh, breathes into man, and that is how man is given life. Beforehand, they were just a physical being being made, but then it says God breathed. The word breathe there is the same word for spirit. God breathed into man, and then man had life. So we see that there is power in that. We also see power in many other different stories within the Old Testament. One story worth mentioning is the story of Samson. A lot of people believe that Samson was super strong because of his long hair, but the scriptures doesn't say that. It says that Samson received his strength from the Holy Spirit. Here's a couple verses just to give you a quick uh, uh, indication of that. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The spirit of the Lord came 
powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Now, I don't know who's tearing up goats, but the mere fact that he is tearing up young goats and lions is incredible. But still, we see that that power didn't come upon him until the spirit of the Lord came upon him. He wasn't already strong. It was the spirit of the Lord when it came on him. And we see that throughout his whole life. We see the Holy Spirit come on people and they had the ability to prophesy in the Old Testament. We see the Holy Spirit come upon people and they had ability to to achieve great feats of strength. King David mentions in the Psalms how he did not want the Holy Spirit to leave him because the Holy Spirit was the source of his power, of his wisdom, of his influence. That was the Holy Spirit on his life. But one of the places where we see the power of the Holy Spirit exemplified most is actually in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. We believe that, but we actually do not see Jesus do anything significant until the Holy Spirit comes upon him. So we're going to look at this in Mark chapter 1. It says this, Jesus, and at this time, Jesus is 30 years old, and for his first 30 years, he has not done anything significant recorded in the scriptures. He was just a regular person. And if you were with us last week, uh, whether in Poughkeepsie or online, you probably heard about how we talked about Jesus when he got baptized. But we're going to revisit this right now in starting at Mark chapter one, verse nine. It says that at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. The same way we saw the spirit depicted in Genesis. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Now, church, what we just read here is one of the clearest depictions of the Trinity exemplified. All members of the Trinity are both seen and heard in this passage. But we also see that from this point on, things changed in Jesus' life significantly. We go on and see this in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus full of the Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Fast forward, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee Galilee, in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. countryside. Fast forward, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is all me. This is Jesus talking. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All of these things that Jesus began doing in his ministry and everything following that happened when the Holy Spirit was upon him. Even Jesus, as powerful as him being God, did not do anything powerful or significant until the Holy Spirit came on him. And I love that it says that Jesus was full of the Spirit. And that's something that I need to remember in my own life because you can't be full of the Spirit if you're also full of yourself. But if we want to see 
the Holy Spirit do more things in our lives. We have to die to self. We have to become less of ourselves. And this is kind of the segue into the next thing because Jesus has done amazing things so far. Jesus has healed people. Jesus has preached great sermons. Jesus is now becoming this icon already in his three years of ministry. But then Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to die. And yes, he will raise from the dead, but after he dies, he's going to be gone again. And the disciples are in mourning that Jesus is leaving them. And Jesus decides that to say the statement moving forward in the book of John, Jesus says this. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, who is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, you have to put yourself in the story here. Because if I was one of the disciples that heard Jesus say that it is better that I leave, I would have completely disagreed. Could you imagine what life would have been like if Jesus physically was near you all the time? You could be walking around with a headache and just be like, hey, Jesus, my head hurts, man. And Jesus would be like, all right, be healed. And you're healed. You might have an accident with your dog. Your dog might get hit by a car and Jesus could heal your dog on the spot. Your cat might get hit by a car and Jesus can do the funeral right then and there for you. I'm sure he loves cats, too. You can be running out of food at a party and say, Jesus, we're running out of snacks and Jesus blesses it. And now you have enough food for the whole neighborhood. One of the fantasies I have with Jesus is that me and Jesus would be able to go to a really nice restaurant. And I look at the wine menu and I lean over to Jesus. and I'm like, Jesus, do you see the prices for this? I can't afford this, man. And Jesus just looks over and tells me, just order the water. I got you. And then from that time, we have a wonderful time together. There are benefits to Jesus being by our side. But still, Jesus says very truly. And I love that phrase very truly because very truly is the 2018 equivalent to a for real, though. A real talk. Could you imagine if Jesus like clapped his hands like a hey, real talk? It's better that I leave you. Because once I leave, I can send the Holy Spirit. And once the Holy Spirit comes, because the Holy Spirit only descended on one person usually, but now the Holy Spirit will be able to be on all believers. The works of Jesus that he managed to do by himself can happen at a worldwide scale. It is better that he leaves so that we can have him. So in our remaining time together, I just want to talk about the four ways that we see the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And I need to mention this before we move on, actually, that Jesus is saying in the statement that the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. It is better that you have the Holy Spirit in your life than to have Jesus physically stand by your side. We, through supernatural power, are able to see and witness things on a universal scale. And all of that is because of the Holy Spirit. But we also need to recognize this because this could be something that can get us very excited and we want to do great miracles and things like that. But the whole point is this, is that the goal of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. 
The Holy Spirit does incredible things in the lives of those that believe, but the Holy Spirit should not be a distraction. The Holy Spirit should be a refocus. The Holy Spirit should be a reminder of who Jesus is. This is one of the incredible things about the Trinity again, because the Holy Spirit, his job in everything that he does is to remind us of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the one that came, lived, died on the cross for our sins and rose again so that we might have relationship restored with the Father. And God the Father, when we are in trouble, we are dealing with situations, sends his spirit, which is a reminder of Jesus Christ who made a way for us to have community with God and God continues to send the spirit the Trinity is in a dance all the time God is continually doing something and moving in a way and he wants us to participate in that and all of that is powered by the Holy Spirit in our lives that is formed to show us Jesus now there are four ways that we see that that the Holy Spirit operates in our lives the first way is that the Holy Spirit is designed to be a teacher. Once again, uh, John 14, verse 6, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things, will teach you all things, excuse me, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is your 24-7, 365 days in a year reminder of the truths of God's word. The Holy Spirit works to reveal God's truth and to be a reminder of God's truth. When we read God's word daily, we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand what we're reading, to help reveal to us things about the scriptures that are an issue in our life, to challenge us, to encourage us. That is how the Holy Spirit works. And this is why it's so important that many times we um, stress that you, we need to be people that are reading our scriptures. And here's the thing. I know so many times we can hear, listen, you need to read your Bible. And there's like this idea that you need to read as much as your Bible as you can in a day. Sometimes you can just read a verse. Sometimes you can just read half a chapter, just a chapter, but we need to be sure we are reading some of it, that we are getting it in our hearts, that we are getting it in our lives, because once it is in our lives, not only can the Holy Spirit teach us things from the scripture, but the Holy Spirit can remind us things in the scripture. See, I believe that God knows that we're forgetful creatures. So can we be honest for a second and admit that we forgive things, that we forget things? Real quick, just by show of hands here, Poughkeepsie online, how many of you have ever forgotten somebody's name? I did that like 15 minutes ago. How many of you have forgotten a birthday? How many of you have forgotten an anniversary? Do not lift your hands up for that one. Do not. How many of you have forgotten your keys? How many of you have forgotten your glasses? Real, have you ever forgotten your keys or your glasses and you were looking for them and you found out that you already had them on you? That can be embarrassing. How many of you have forgotten where you've parked? How many of you have already forgotten what the original question was? We are forgetful creatures. We can forget things, but the Holy Spirit does not forget. And the Holy Spirit is this tool that can remind us. He's the person that can remind us the things in Scripture when we need it most, when we're dealing in tough and difficult situations. See, like I mentioned before, we talked about last week, if you were in Poughkeepsie or online, about Jesus in the wilderness. 
and how Jesus, every time he was tempted by Satan, challenged Satan again with scriptures. And I believe not only did he know the scriptures physically, but that the Holy Spirit was working in him to remind him of those verses in the midst of the trials that he was going through. But moving forward, we also know that the Holy Spirit counsels. The Holy Spirit is someone that can speak in our lives counsel when we need it most. And scripture also says that he is a counselor of peace. Because let's be honest, sometimes we make bad decisions. Sometimes we have people problems. Sometimes we mismanage anger. And the Holy Spirit can be someone that can speak to us. And I'll be honest, sometimes the Holy Spirit will tell you that you need to seek physical counseling. But the Holy Spirit can be a counselor to you and especially a counselor of peace in times when you are distressed. Last week, me and my wife uh, went to a conference in Florida. Um, And in that conference with Florida, we got tickets for a smaller than usual airport. Usually we fly out of like JFK or LaGuardia. But this time we were flying out of a smaller airport and the smaller airport had smaller planes. So we get on the plane, we're sitting in the back of the plane, not really a big deal, it's fine. And we lift off where everything is smooth. But as we are approaching Atlanta, where we were supposed to have our connecting flight, we get told by the pilot that due to a tremendous storm that's happening below us, we cannot land, so we need to hang out in the sky for a little while. All right, that's fine, everything is cool. But then he says, hey, listen guys, we're actually running out of gas, so we need to make an emergency landing at a nearby airport. Now, I appreciate his honesty, but if you ever want to bring anxiety to people on a plane, let them know that, hey, we are 10,000 plus feet in the air and we're running out of gas. We land fine, but then we are stuck on the airplane for two extra hours. There was no AC. They ran completely out of food and they started giving us free alcohol because there was no food, which is not a great mix. But we're on the plane, we're frustrated, we're hot, we just want to get to where we are going. We've already missed our connecting flight. And then eventually he says, you know what, all right, we're going to lift off and we are going to land finally. There's still, it's still a storm, but we're going to go for it. We're going to try. So we're fine with that. And as we get into the air and as we get close to Atlanta, church, we experience some of the most horrible turbulence that I have ever experienced in my life. Have you ever had turbulence where your body starts to lift up from the seat you're strapped in? Have you ever had turbulence where you start grabbing onto the strangers next to you because you feel like this is it? Literally, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, God, I can't believe this is how I go. I can't believe this is how I'm going to see you on a plane. God, please keep my body for the funeral. Either way, I was freaking out. And yes, we landed and everything was fine. Praise God for that. But later on that week, I read the story about how Jesus was sleeping on a boat in the midst of a storm. And the disciples were freaking out, asking Jesus, do you not care that we're going to die? And I saw that from a completely different standpoint, because for me, I was I would not have been able to sleep on that plane. For me, if Jesus was physically on that plane with me, I would have been knocking out Jesus. I was like, Jesus, I'm going to need you to clear these clouds real quick because we're not going to make it. But if Jesus was able to have peace in the midst of the storm, and especially in the physical one like that, but in the other ways in our lives, then the Holy Spirit can also be an aid that can help us in the midst of some of the most terrible situations to have peace. He is a counselor in that way. 
But moving forward, we see that the Holy Spirit is a guide. The Holy Spirit is a guide and he is someone that can lead us to do things and, 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 and to go places that maybe we would not be able to go ourselves. But he's someone able to help us. I want to read this here. Um, that the Holy Spirit is a guide, but he is a guide of truth. The Holy Spirit will not allow you to do something that is outside of God's will, that is not uh, in agreement with the scriptures. I met with a pastor friend the other day, and he told me that he had a member in his church marry another man's wife who was an immigrant to be sure that she stayed in the country. And he said that he did it because he thought God told him to. Church, I'm going to tell you right now, God did not tell him to do that. If you hear anything similar to that, do not do that. All right. You will get in a lot of trouble and God will not have anything to do with it. But the one thing that I use as a resource for me to know if it's God's will or not is that God will always lead me and guide me to do things that are outside of my nature because I can be selfish in my own ways. And anytime God leads me to do something outside of that is when I kind of know that it's his will. Real quick, I was on a missions trip one time and during that time I was doing very well financially and I went to that missions trip with almost a thousand dollars in cash and I didn't spend anything. I was just trying to save up because uh, I had my own plans with it. And we went to a ministry in this particular country where they were, uh, there was an organization that was focused on trying to save children and rescue families from this massive dump that had become a civilization. Completely toxic, completely dangerous. Rape and murder was extremely high. And hearing the story of the people that are ministering there, I hear God tell me, I hear the Holy Spirit tell me that he wants me to give all of my money to these people. And I told God, no. I was like, God, um, first off, I'll give them some, but I'm not going to give them all. Who's going to pay for my souvenirs? Who's going to help me do all I got to do once I get home? God, who's going to be my supplier? I don't, I, I don't want to do that. I will give some and not all. So I gave them some. But then the Holy Spirit kept hitting my heart. The Holy Spirit was like, give them all of the money. And eventually I said, fine. And I gave them all of the money. And I was like, God, this on you. I don't know how I'm getting home, but whatever. Church, when I tell you that tickets started getting paid for, I got better seats than I could have on my own. I remember I got all that I needed, souvenirs that I didn't even ask for, I was getting for to bless other people with. I remember it followed me all the way home. I went home two weeks after the mission trip getting a haircut and my barber said, the Holy Spirit told me that your haircut is free today. I was like, I didn't even know my barber was a Christian, let alone that the Holy Spirit talks to him like that. But the Holy Spirit is a guide. And the Holy Spirit, when he leads you somewhere, will not only ask you to do things that are bolder than what you might be used to doing, but he will also provide for you in the midst of doing that. But the fourth thing that the Holy Spirit does is convict. The Holy Spirit is a tool, is a person that aids us and when we are doing wrong, he could be the person that can remind us of what's right. But this is the area that's so sensitive because it is very easy and scripture follows this up that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And we can end up living 
wrongful lives. We can end up being Christians that live spiritless lives because we no longer are listening to the spirit that is operating, operating within us. Church, I don't want that to be anybody in here today. And I know a lot of you may be wondering, well, what about tongues? What about prophecy? What about all that running around and being slain in the spirit you were talking about? What about those things? Do the Holy Spirit does those things? Listen, you're going to have to come back in the next weeks to hear more about how the Holy Spirit operates day to day. My job today was just to lay down the groundwork by which we understand the Holy Spirit from here on out. But the question I do want to ask you is this. Are you living a life where the four major roles of the Holy Spirit is operating in you? Is the Holy Spirit your teacher? Is he your counselor? Is he your God? Is he the one that's convicting you? Is he the one that you trust in to help you understand Jesus more so? Or has he been silenced because of many of the sins that might be in your life, the private issues you have in your life, the things that you struggle with, maybe even just trusting in God is the reason why you're not listening to the Holy Spirit as much? Today, I want to pray for each and every one of you that we live lives where the Holy Spirit is active and moving and is capable of doing all the four things that I mentioned. So let's do it together. Let's pray right now. God, I thank you for all of these wonderful people. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that you send. I thank you for your, the death of Jesus on the cross and that he rose from the grave with all power and authority in his hands. And he didn't just leave us on our own, but you sent your spirit so that now that same power can move in us. So, Father, I pray that your spirit brings life to those where they feel like they are living in death, that your spirit brings freedom to those that feel like they're living in bondage, that your spirit, Father, brings healing to those that feel like that they are living in sickness and death. God, we need you today. God, we need your Holy Spirit to move and live amongst us. And, Father, we believe it because, Lord, it says if we ask, we will receive. And Father, we are excited for what the Holy Spirit is going to be doing in our lives from here on out. In Jesus' name, amen.